Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 28. I got a bunch of questions to answer today. If you have a question for me, send it to support at humanworkplace.com. I answer a few questions every week. All right, here's the first one. Liz, what do you think about emotional intelligence? Well, you guys, you know, emotional intelligence has been a hot term in the workplace for hmm, 10, 15 years. I'm not quite sure. I'll tell you what I think about it. Regular old intelligence, traditional intellectual intelligence, the idea of an IQ or an IQ test that we all grew up with, I think is, you know, really bad, really idiotic. Um, I think there's such a thing as being resourceful and being sharp, being quick-witted and all that kind of thing. Um, but the idea that there is just this quantity, measurable quantity of intelligence is super insulting and, you know, um, offensive. I was just looking up a book. Yeah, a book came out in 1981 by the paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould, and it is called The Mismeasure of Man. See, back in 1981, you could you could call a book the mismeasure the mismeasure of man, meaning mankind, and it wasn't considered you know sexist or but kind of is nowadays. But I'm sure Stephen Jay Gould has passed on since then. Let's look him up on Wikipedia. Super smart guy. Um, now I have to look him up so I don't. Yeah, he died in 2002, and um, this book is about how you know it's about the history and critique, I'm reading from Wikipedia now, of the statistical methods and cultural motivations underlying biological determinism, the belief that the social and economic differences between human groups, primarily races, classes, and sexes, arise from inherited inborn distinctions and that society in this sense is an accurate reflection of biology. So part of what he, okay, so here he says, Gould argues that the primary assumption underlying bi biological determinism is that, in quotes, worth can be assigned to individuals and groups by measuring intelligence as a single quantity. Obviously, that's goofy, right? Like, are you smart or are you not smart? It's just one thing. You're either smart or you're not smart. We're going to give you a test and we're going to figure it out. This is insane, right? And it's very, very offensive. When, when I was 19 a pretty big year in my life. I left music school and went with a musician friend of mine, my friend Greg, to Chicago. We moved to Chicago from New York. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do there. He had been there once before and had some ideas about some things that, that he could do and maybe I could do um, musically or just for work or whatever. But remember 1979, this is what year it was, 79, it was pretty cheap to live. It, you know, it was back in those days when a minimum job minimum wage job would let you get an apartment. And, um, I got a job. We hit Chicago on a Friday night in the August of 1979. And we had a little contest between us who could get a job faster. And he beat me actually the next day, Saturday by like an hour. I wasn't with him. I didn't know where he was, but he was getting a job. And I was also walking around job hunting at restaurants. And I got a job at like two in the afternoon Turns out he had already secured a job at about one in the afternoon. So he won that contest, but that's how easy it was to get a job back then. Of course, I was hired illegally, although I didn't know it. I got hired as a wait staff person and um, it 
actually wasn't legal for me to be there because I was serving alcohol. And at the time, you had to be 21 to serve alcohol in Illinois. I don't know what it is now. But this restaurant owner couldn't care less. You know, it was an outdoor cafe. It was August. People had been quitting. He's like, I'll take this chickadee. And I walk in and, you know, started working the next day. So it's great for me. But when the outdoor cafe closed a couple months later because it got cold in Chicago and, you know, nobody's going to sit outside to eat, uh, I found that I couldn't get a decent waitressing job because I wasn't old enough. And that's how I became an office person. I had to go inside to work and earn less money. But anyway, so I get this job, Greg gets a job, and we're like, okay, good, we got jobs. So the first chunk of the Maslow's hierarchy is covered. We're going to be able to pay some kind of rent. You know, what should we do? Let's do some music. Let's do something. And we went to clubs, and we met people, and I sang backstage at a marionette theater, you know, voicing the female marionettes. And I auditioned for stuff, and we just, you know, kind of dove in. And at one point, Greg said, hey, you know what? Let's go to this meeting. Um, it's this uh, lecture or something at DePaul University, which is is and was over at uh, Fullerton and Lincoln Avenue. It's it's a Mensa thing. And I said, Mensa. And my mother used to do something with that. And he said, yeah, yeah, you got to take a test. We'll take this test. I heard about it. It's not, it's not that bad. We'll take this test and we'll be Mensa members, you know, it's supposed to be the high IQ society, if you can stand it. So we go and we take this test and it really wasn't that, that hard. And, um, I'm not a great student either. I mean, I am, if I care about the stuff and if I don't, then I'm not. And we go to the meeting and it was stupid. It was horrible. It was boring. It was like blowhard, you know, stuff shirt. It was not a good vibe at all. And that's the only Mensa meeting we ever went to. I'm not slamming men. So maybe they have better meetings in other places. And that was also 40 years ago. But, um, I remember leaving there and saying, Greg, just think about the idea that there's this one measurable quantity. You're going to take this test and it's going to tell us if you qualify for this club. I, what I recall from the test vocab, right? Do you know what this word means? How does that have to do with intelligence that has to do with, have you been exposed to this word or not? And you can instantly see how how all kinds of influences, you know, from economic status to the education level of your parents, all this stuff is, of course, going to be the biggest determinant of whether you've been exposed to these obscure words or not. My mother was a word freak and, and a writer and an editor and a crossword puzzle fanatic and a Scrabble champion. And of course, she's going to have a big vocabulary and teach it to her kids. It goes without saying, but does that make the kid automatically smarter? That's so insulting, the idea. And Greg said, yeah, no, it's garbage. It, it has nothing to do with anything. There's smarter people, you know, walking around this city on any block, but it's just, they didn't necessarily have the, have the, the exposure to the stuff that would let you pass that test. And I said, yeah, so what about the SAT and the ACT then for college? He said, yeah, that's nonsense too. So he was, was a huge influence on, on me in getting me to see things differently and change my mental frame, my mental model about some of this stuff that we kind of take for granted. Like you can measure someone's IQ. No, you can't. What does it even mean? You measure someone's IQ. You're going to give them a test and say, you're smart. You know, you're not smart. Give me a break. But listen, when I was in kindergarten, getting ready to go to first grade, 
my parents took me to the school. I had five older siblings already in that school. And now it was my turn to go. And we walked down the hall, old school, Catholic school. The nuns back then had the full length habit, scary, couldn't tell their hair color. You know, it was intimidating. And I was having a blast in kindergarten. I loved it. I didn't ever want to leave. I should have stayed there. No, had to go to first grade and it was painful, traumatic actually. But they take me there on a little visit and the nun leading the tour with my parents and me and other parents and other kids literally said out loud, we have two classrooms for each grade, the slow class and the fast class literally said that. I was like, wow, that's cold. That is cold. Don't let me be in the slow class. And, 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 uh, you know, I somehow made it into the fast class. They didn't even test us. How did they make that determination? Probably based on our older siblings or whatever, you know, it's just, ugh, so much nonsense, so much damage, you guys. But yeah, I don't believe in the idea of IQ or the measurement of intelligence. So now let's move on to emotional intelligence. Do I think it's important and worthy and really useful and great and healthy to talk about emotions and to talk about how we feel about ourselves and other people and how we handle the emotional component of conversations, particularly at work? Yeah, I'm obsessed with that. I think it's everything. But once again, the measurement idea, the quantification, this person has emotional intelligence, this person doesn't. That's where I get very bothered and turned off. And I have gotten into debates with people over the years, or not gotten into debates, but people have tried to debate me, tried to get me into a debate with them over this emotional intelligence concept or construct. There's just this thing and you can just measure it. Look at what we know about emotions. And all I say day in and day out is that it's contextual. It's based on the situation because we are all subject to fear which is limbic nerve stuff we don't control. So this idea, I have emotional intelligence and that lets me get through all life situations. No, because fear will hit you, my darling, like it hits all of us and, and you know, blast a hole in that. So we cannot talk about like, I just have emotional intelligence, therefore I'm equipped in the way somebody else isn't. No, it's 100% situational. We are all subject to fear. That's what we should be talking about. We should be talking about getting better at dealing with interpersonal situations, but that also requires, if we're talking about work, that the workplace should bend and flex. And, you know, that's that's a huge priority too. So, yeah, I'm not wild about what I have read and seen so far on the topic of emotional intelligence because it's too pat. It's too formulaic. It's too, like, Go to this course and you'll have emotional intelligence. You can get a gold star on your forehead and you'll never have an interpersonal problem again. Or if you do, it'll be their fault because you have emotional intelligence. So yeah, hope I answered that question 10 minutes later. Liz, you say we should not work for free. Can you expound on that, please? Heck yes, I will. Just came up on Twitter or someplace, LinkedIn, within the last 24 hours, working for free, working for free. Look at the first place where you're going to run into this idea of being asked to work for free is in the job search, in the interview process. You're going to have to interview that. You don't get paid for that. So that might be one interview or two or three, sometimes four in a so-called knowledge work job, white collar job. They may stretch that out 
and we just want to talk to you again. Or it's not an interview. They'll call you. This happens. They email you. Can we get on the phone for a quick call about our 2021 planning? And it's like, I'm not on the payroll. Are you trying to evaluate me? Are you trying to get my free advice? Probably a little of both. But there could easily be a time. There probably will be a time in this endless interview and, you know, not quite an interview process where they're picking your brain, where you need to say, hey, you know, yeah, I, I have a few minutes. I can jump on the phone to talk about your 2021 plan and, and, and also check in on the job search process. Check in on the process. Where are we is always an appropriate question for you as a job seeker to ask. Where are we in the process? What remains to be done? What remains to be done? Ah, oh, we're waiting for a VP to get back into town. Get back into town. It's 2020, almost 2021. This lame excuse. When the VP gets back into, no, pick up the phone and call the freaking VP and ask them, can I make this offer? You met the candidate. What? They had to get back into town. We have to stop being so passive, you guys, because it doesn't end up helping us. We think that we're going to mince and wheedle our way to the finish line and it just doesn't work that way mother nature is in charge and if people are going to be mousy and muley and and gross with you during the interview process there probably is no job offer offer forthcoming at the end or if it is you're not going to like the job because they gave you all the signals before you got the offer that they were not upright forthright stand-up people. So don't work for free during the hiring process. Now, how do you handle that as a tactical, practical matter? I'll just take two uh, specific examples that can come up while you're interviewing. I already mentioned the endless calls. Just to check in with you, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about our marketing plan. You say, so yeah, marketing plan, um, you know, I have a couple thoughts. Tell me about the interview process. I've interviewed the guys three times. The last one was three weeks ago. You know, where do we stand? What's going on? It's a business process. And if you're afraid to ask that question, understandably, because it might make the job offer disappear in a puff of smoke, then it was never real to begin with, right? Ask them. And then if they say, oh, yeah, it's actually on the VP's desk and I should have it tomorrow, then you say, then let's talk. I'll get the offer. You'll send it over, and then we'll talk about everything. We'll talk about the marketing plan, right? We're, we're finding our voices. Another uh, a case um, in, during the hiring process is you're in the interview. You're there on a Zoom call, say, and they say, so here's our specific pro problem, and they lay it out in detail. How would you solve it? You're going to tell them your process. Okay, I, here's how I would solve that. If you hired me to work for you as a consultant or as an employee, what I would do is I would scope it because I've heard about this problem from a couple of your colleagues, but different variations, not the same point on the arrow, what we really need. So that's critical. What do you want as you solve this problem? And I would talk to you again and other people uh, stakeholders, and I would clarify that and then do a process to get everybody synced up on that, whether we're actually on a Zoom call or whether it's a written document that you approve. That is the first thing. Let's not jump into solving a problem we haven't defined. And when the problem's defined, I would talk to a bunch of people, hear about what you've already done. I would talk to, you know, whatever, customers, whatever the relevant group of people is, employees, and um, do some research and bring you back 
alternatives. You can give them your process. Don't give them the answer. Well, have you tried this? Yes, didn't work. Have you tried this? No, we think it's stupid. Don't throw out ideas that will never help you. It is so common. It is so common for someone to steal your great idea and never even remember it came from you. And I get this mail constantly in my inbox. I gave them all my ideas at the interview. They implemented my ideas and I never heard from them again. Cut it off. Give them your process. You're not going to say no. I won't help you. You say, absolutely. I will lay out what my process would be. And if they press you and say, well, what's the answer though? You say, look, you're smart people here. You're all smart people. There's nobody here who's not smart. And you all know this environment and your situation and history and competitive landscape better than I do. So if you guys don't have it yet, far be it for me to fling some spaghetti at the wall right now in this room. That would be irresponsible. And I, you know, no. I'd love to dive into this. If that's part of the job, let's do it. Okay. Another one is they call you after all these interviews. We love you. We love you. We just want you to do some more work, like do a marketing plan for free or do some research for free to see, you know, if we really like you and you say, oh my gosh, I would love to do it. I'm, you know, I'm flattered. That sounds great. Here is my consulting rate, whatever an hour. I'm okay if you want to donate one hour. After all those interviews and all the correspondence, you want to donate one hour, you give them one hour if you want to do that. Some people do, some don't. But one hour is the limit. This idea of a three-hour project, they're, they're going to take it. They're not going to... They could be taking those marketing plans from 40 candidates and taking the best ideas from each one. That doesn't distinguish you and it doesn't help you get hired. Never, never, never think... You have to work for free to prove yourself. That is telling them you have no value and you want them to know your value. It's much better to walk away. You know how many times I've walked away from something and they called me back eh, on second thought, right? You know how many times that's happened to me? I know this because it happens on a regular basis still now today. My husband was just telling me yesterday when we moved from Chicago to Colorado 20 years ago, he brought a two boxes of books, nice books, really good books. Some of them were signed. I mean, but he was getting rid of books and, and thinning out, you know, our stuff. And he took them to a used bookstore in Chicago. And the guy said, I'll give you 20 bucks for both books. It was like, Oh, this is like $500 worth of books. And he said, wow, no, yeah, no. And he just picked up the books, the boxes and started taking them back to his car. And the guy said, no, no, oh, no. Okay. What do you want for him? And he says, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm insulted. It's not, it's not a good, it's not a good energy. I've spent so much money in this store. I've been in here so many times. And the guy says, okay, okay, okay. $200. He, he 10 tuppled, whatever that's called. Dixie tuppled. I don't know. I don't know that word. Multiplied his original offer by 10. And just to get rid of the books, my husband gave him the books for $200, but it's the idea that better to turn your back, better to walk away. Assuming you have, you know, the Maslow taken care of, obviously, right? But if you do stand up for your value, that's the only way we grow. That's the only way we really believe that we have something is by testing it. Only way we grow our muscles is by using them. Only way we grow our voices and our confidence is by pushing that edge of this is what I think. It took me a long time 
to learn this lesson, but it's the principal lesson I'm out here teaching now. All right, so there's the content part of episode 28. And just a couple of thoughts for you. If you have a question for me, as I mentioned before, support at humanworkplace.com. That's where you send it. I'm answering, obviously, questions I can answer on a podcast or on Twitter or LinkedIn or in a video. We do do career coaching on meteor issues by email, and it's called Confidential Career Coaching by Email. Super obvious, descriptive name, costs $199 US, so it's not something to do with a random question that just popped into your mind. You don't really care about the answer, but it could be something to do when you really need good advice on how to get out of a jam in your job search with your branding, on the job, thinking about your career, your pay, whatever. And you find that on our website or write to us at support at humanworkplace.com and we'll give you the link. Also, I would love to make a video with you <laughs> answering your question, a short question. You send me a 30 second video of you just looking at the camera and asking a career job search, you know, networking, entrepreneurial branding type of question. Same thing, support at humanworkplace.com. Send the video and say, hey, here's my question. You have my permission to uh, use it in your, in your, you know, whatever, in your video creation project. And uh, you'll ask the question, I'll answer. It'll be fun. It'll be a video featuring you. Yeah. So thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for spreading the word about Human Workplace on our mission to reinvent work for people. You're awesome. And I'm very, very glad uh, to have you in the community.